Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special uh, edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay. I'm from uh, the Chicago area, and I'll be the host for the presentation this morning. And today is Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. The, uh, the share ID numbers for Friday, October 20th, for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, that number is 20,000. 762. That's 20762. And for the 10 a.m. meeting on Friday, that number 20,763. That's 20763. This morning, A Vision for You presents a design for living that really works. Our speaker is going to share her story of personal transformation as the result of the 12 steps. And, and the design for living that, that really does work, even in rough going. And she's going to bring some, some passages alive, uh, um, beginning with the first paragraph on page 28, and she'll go from there. So we're, we're, we, with much gratitude, we, uh, we'll, we'll welcome her in a moment. You know, a common theme in the uh, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is desperation. And uh, that, you know, that word can scare me, boy, desperation, you know. It's, but it's a necessary condition before we can experience real change. At least I've, I've found that to be so. And even in Bill's story um, on page eight, we're reminded of this. I was reading, you know, about this, this notion of desperation. He says, and I quote, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity, quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. And he goes on, he's just trembling. I stepped from the hospital, a broken man, and fear sobered me a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink. And on Armistice Day, Armistice Day 1934, I was off again. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. How dark it is before the dawn. Because in reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. You know, you know why, why is it that most of us need to experience our own level of desperation before we're willing to wave the white flag and follow the instructions laid out in this book? And, you know, desperation certainly can serve as a catalyst. I know it, it, it did for me and many others for change because it, among other things, it creates a sense of urgency and it motivates us to, to take action. Now, we, we, we hear a lot about the idea of surrender, you know, and I, and I suppose that's, that's code for letting go, right? And, and it's a wonderful thing to behold, to observe someone surrender, to, to experience surrender ourselves. And yet I would suggest to you that it's imperative to understand that this notion of surrender, at least in the context of recovery, and in a, in a, in a a way that's congruent with, with our literature, I would suggest to you there, there are two types of surrender, really, that you're going to find within the fellowship. And, it, and it's imperative to, 
to acknowledge, at least for me, to acknowledge these types of surrender because one leads to frustration, heartache, fear, while the other leads to recovery. And the book promises that. And, and there's, an, there's an active surrender and there's a passive surrender. And I know both all too well. And, and allow me to just briefly, before I introduce our speaker, to shed some light on these types of, by way of a metaphor, these types of surrender. So in the, in the context of recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous, in our case, in Overeaters Anonymous, an active surrender could be likened to a, to a determined swimmer. You know, think of a swimmer willingly diving into the choppy waters. It's cold. They, they dive into the choppy waters of life and they em, embrace the challenges that come with sobriety. It's not easy and actively engage in the recovery process. There's a blueprint, right? We study it in, in our literature for, for engaging in this recovery process, working these steps. And this individual acknowledges their powerlessness over food, their alcoholic foods, and they actively seek out support. They actively attend meetings to learn, to grow. They work the steps, of course, right? And they make necessary changes in their life to maintain sobriety. It's not a passive process. And on the other hand, a passive surrender, I, oh, do I know that one well. A passive surrender in the realm of OA recovery could be really compared to a person sort of floating along aimlessly in a river you know, going with the flow, allowing life circumstances to dictate their path. And in this scenario, you know, the individual may reluctantly admit powerlessness. I know I certainly did over my alcoholic foods, but fail to actively participate in their recovery. You know, they might attend an occasional meeting without engaging fully. They, they leave their fate, as I did, to chance rather than actively working towards sobriety and working these steps. So for me, it's, it's, it's critical that I understand that surrender is not a passive process of waiting and patience is important in recovery, no question. But through that desperation, I'm, it's a springboard to taking an active approach to my surrender. And there's a, there's a huge difference between the two, right? There's a crucial difference between actively and passively surrendering in the context of AA recovery. I have to break the status quo. If I get comfortable in the disease, if I get comfortable in the disease, I will continue to repeat over and over again the same things. And I could be around for years. We've all talked to people that have been around for years in a state of passive surrender. If I'm going to overcome fear and resistance to, a, to an active surrender, it could be intimidating, it could be challenging, but that's what it requires. And we're going to hear a personal story of transformation of someone who, who, who obviously took an active approach in her surrender. And as a result of that, she's brought into alignment to power, a power of her own understanding. Joining us this morning to share her personal story of a spiritual transformation as a result of the 12 steps is Lindsay W. from Texas. And Lindsay is a dedicated member of Overeaters Anonymous. She's committed to the practice of this way of life, to, 
to carrying this message. And it's with great gratitude and pleasure that, you know, please join me in welcoming Lindsay to the line. Good morning, Lindsay. Hi, good morning, Larry. Thank you. Uh, I am Lindsay W. and I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, I live in Houston, Texas, and this morning I am actually dialing in from Los Angeles. So it is bright and early, 5:30 a.m. here, and um, this is this is what we do. You know, wake up at 4:30 in the morning on a Sunday, and um, you know, spend time with with God and and get ready and show up and be of service, which um, <laughs> before this, I, I couldn't show up for, for, for anything or, or anyone. So this is, this is a miracle. And um, I'm really overwhelmed right now just with a lot of emotion, um, a lot of gratitude, a lot of humility, a lot of disbelief, um, because, you know, I remember that I would listen to uh, Vision for You special editions for for years, and um, you know I would be I would be binging. I would be you know going through drive-throughs, and um, I just couldn't get out of the food. But I the, the very first time that I heard someone that had done what I had done with food, and that had gone to the the, the pit of hell and had this disease, like I had this disease, was on a Vision for You special edition. And I'll never forget that. And so this morning, um, what I want to say, you know, before I start, is for those that are listening live this morning, or for those of you that are listening in the future to recordings like I did, um, there's hope here. You know, I, I was not supposed to be here this morning. I was not supposed to be someone who could get this. You know, I would hear you all talking. I would go to meetings. I would hear the recovery and think, there's no way that they have what I have. There's no way they understand what I'm going through because if they were, they wouldn't be okay. You know, they wouldn't be happy, joyous, free. They wouldn't be experiencing any sort of reprieve from the food. Um, so I just, I just want you to know there is hope here. And um, I've been there. I've been binging on my couch while listening to these things. And so if you're doing that this morning, you're welcome here. We're so glad you're here. If you're doing that on the recording, there's hope here. Um, the solution for me is here. So um, what it was like for me. So, um, you know, I'm a real gutter level compulsive overeater. Um, a really low bottom. I say I'm like a heroin addict with the food. Um, and, you know, usually I would show my pictures at this point on Zoom. So I'll just share with you some of those things. So I'm, I'm five foot three. And at my heaviest recorded weight, I was 350 pounds. Um, I, you know, was a person who, like I said, couldn't show up, you know, was constantly canceling plans with people, with friends. I would lie all the time. I just, you know, couldn't show up for life. I couldn't, I could hardly even walk from my apartment to my car. You know, life was, life was really becoming impossible. And um, I, you know, I was, I was essentially a, a handicapped individual going, going throughout the world. And, um, 
you know, as of today, I have a little over two and a half years of abstinence, which for someone that could not get out of the food for literally half a day, that is such a miracle. And um, I have released around 200 pounds. And I, I share that again, because there's hope in these rooms, and I, I want to be really, really clear about something. Um, it's on page 64, and it says um, in the big book, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So um, I talk about the, the release of the weight because that is the physical demonstration of the recovery in my life. But I was not focused on the weight. And I'm so glad that in the introduction, desperation was talked about so much because it wasn't until I was just desperate to a level that I, that I couldn't have even fathomed because the gift of desperation is not pretty. It is not sexy. I always had this idea <laughs> that... You know, the gift of the moment I get the gift of desperation, it's going to be this beautiful moment in my life. And, oh, wow, you know, I'm going to be finally ready. No, it is actually like, it's, 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 it's horrific. And only at that time was I ready to take the actions, which I am going to talk a lot more about. But I just want to be clear, like, in working these steps, I was not focused on the weight. This is not a diet. This is a spiritual solution, and I was entirely focused on working the steps. I was focused on my recovery, and then this promise happened for me. I have straightened out mentally and physically because the spiritual malady is overcome and is continuing to be overcome every day. So I just want to share that and, and get clear on that. Um, and then... You know, another thing is like before before I do these shares, I and mean, this one's a big one for me. I've been really nervous about this one because because these special editions changed my life so much. And so when I'm having conversation with my sponsor or other fellows, I'm consistently reminded that like this is about God. Like God has made the impossible possible. That's the only explanation for the fact that, like, I am, that I have any sort of life, that I am here, that I have two and a half years of recovery. Like, this is God's story. This is a story of, of a miracle, and God has made the impossible possible. So I want to share more about what it was like. Um, so when I was growing up, yes, I was absolutely, you know, um, a compulsive overeater from a young age. In fact, I was just talking about that yesterday, just thinking about some of my, you know, some of the behaviors that I had as a kid. And I was always just seeking escape in food. And I didn't have a terrible childhood. I mean, you know, like I had a, a relatively normal upbringing and, but I was always seeking escape. And, and so there wasn't anything so horribly wrong I was trying to get away from. It's just, I think I was just born an addict. And um, I remember just, you know, some moments as a kid where I would beg my parents to go get fast food. And then, you know, I remember like putting, putting it on the, the TV tray in front of the TV. And I, you know, just that sigh of like, okay, everything's going to be fine now because I've got my food and I can just escape reality. You know, um, reality has always just been too much for me to bear. 
So I had to have food for it. Um, and I remember when I was in junior high, um, I, you know, I, I lived in this fantasy world. Like I remember going to my room with a pen and paper and I would make up fake plans, like fake plans that I had with people like, oh, you know, I went with Brandy and Chelsea to hang out at the mall tonight. And then this person's boyfriend came and hang out with us and this other person's parents picked us up. I mean, I literally had an entire fake social life created because I just couldn't bear to live in reality, even at a young age. And um, when I went to college, you know, that's when my disease really, really took off um, a lot. You know, I was, I mean, I was, I was able to truly isolate for the first time. And that's what my disease wants. You know, this disease of compulsive overeating um, just wants to get me alone and convince me that I'm different from everybody else. So, you know, um, when I got to college, I went to a smaller private university and it was like, you know, either, either I was better than you, like I was too good to be in your uncool friend group or like you were cooler than I was. And like, I, I you know, st just being shoulder to shoulder with somebody, you know, standing on the same rung of the ladder, I didn't know how to function that way. Like I was always better or worse than somebody else. And you know, in college is when I started, um, you know, going to multiple fast food restaurants at one time, you know, I would get multiple meals and order multiple drinks so that the person in the drive through window would think I was ordering for a lot of people. And, you know, I was just eating alone. And, um, you know, in this disease, the way that I eat is incredibly disturbing and um, violent. You know, someone described it that way recently, and I was like, oh, yeah, I so identify. Like, I eat violently and disturbingly in this disease, and I would never want anybody else to see it. I wouldn't ever even want to see it again. It's, 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 it's really, yeah, it's really painful to think about. Um, and so I remember one weekend I went home in college and uh, my parents and I came up with a budget because I was spending all my money on food. And they said, Lindsay, I mean, use your meal plan at the cafeteria. Like, go back and go to the grocery store. Here's a budget. Buy food. Cook it. And I, and I, I fully intended on doing that. You know, it's like um, I identify so much, I mean, with Bill's story. Every time I read it, I'm just, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. And you know, when he says, like, this time I meant business, you know, like every time I really, really did mean business, you know, like I agreed with my parents, you know, I was going to um, go back to college, go, you know, do the budget thing, make the food. And I have this vivid memory of me pulling into the city where I went to school. And it was like my steering wheel turned against my will into the fast food restaurant. I kid you not. Like, and I remember in that moment thinking, like, I don't even want to go in here. Like, I do not want to go into this fast food restaurant right now, and I'm, I'm doing it. Like, and that, um, it says in the big book, you know, that is the baffling nature of this illness, right? The utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And, you know, that continued for almost two decades. So I desperately needed to stop, and I desperately wanted to stop, but I couldn't. 
I mean, against my own will, you know, my steering wheel was turning into this restaurant and that continued, yeah, that continued for almost 20 more years. And I just remember thinking something is horribly wrong with me. You know, it was really, really scary. And um, that paragraph, you know, in Bill's story again, where it says at the bottom of page five, you know, there had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Was I crazy? And I remember so many times over the years feeling exactly that way. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? Was I crazy? You know, and I just started to lose, to lose all confidence. And, and it was like um, another, another line in the big book where it just says, you know, many suspect that they're down for the count, right? Like I was always obsessed with like, one day I'm going to beat the game. But really in the back of my mind, I knew that I was down for the count, that I was like defeated. And I had no idea how I was like, how I was even going to get through life. I mean, it was really terrifying. I almost failed out of my last semester of college because I was binging during this history class I had to take. I didn't even, I think I went to two of the classes during the semester and barely passed the final. Um, I had gotten to a size in college where I had a hard time fitting into the desk. So I was terrified to go into the final for that reason. Um, so, you know, after college, um, I got I got married. Um, I behaved pretty terribly in that marriage. You know, I was I was really angry. Um, you know, I was I was just I was in all my defects, and I I didn't know I didn't know how to get out. Um, got married, got divorced, um, moved across the country, lived in New York City for a bit, moved back. You know, I tried all the things um, to to escape myself. And it's like, oh, yeah, like they say, wherever, wherever I go, there I am. And, um, and so I remember that when I was in my late 20s, I first went to a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. And I, I, I absolutely could not hear the, the spiritual solution. And just for context, so that was my late 20s or mid-20s, and now I'm, I'm 41. And so when I went to those meetings, the spiritual solution completely went over my head, completely, you know, eluded me. I, it was more just like a free pay and wait. However, and now I know, you know, now I know that, that, this, that this is God. Um, but it was like I, I knew somehow that the, the solution to this problem was in the 12 steps. And um, I mean, it was many years until I got back, but it was like, I always just had that knowing of something's really wrong with you. You're, you're not okay. Um, things are going to get really bad, but there is a solution in the rooms of, of the 12, of, of the 12 steps. And I, um, you know, like I said, had no idea how I was going to get there. And, and, and as I said, I mean, for those of you that are listening this morning or in the future and you're there, you know, of like, okay, I think the solution for me is here, but I have no clue how I'm going to bridge the gap from where I am now, like drowning in this disease. Um, there's hope, you know, and I'm here to tell you there's hope. And then, you know, God, God did rescue me from this, but it took a lot of years for me to, um, you know, to like it says on page, on page 28, um, 
we in our turn saw the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. And, you know, I, um, I was seeking escape for many years and I felt, you know, I felt incredibly desperate, but I just, I had to keep, I had to keep swimming for a bit. Um, and I remember when people would tell me that, you know, well, you just need to eat a little more. You need to do a little more research. You're not desperate enough. I would get so angry because I thought, how could I possibly be more desperate? You know, I'm pushing 300 pounds. My life is swirling the toilet. And, uh, but they were right. You know, I just, I, I had to, I had to take every single bite that I took. And I had to experience every single thing that I experienced in order to get to the point where I was willing to um, grab a hold of that flimsy reed because it did seem a flimsy reed. Um, so when I moved, um, when I moved back to to Houston, um, you know, I was almost I was almost 300 pounds. I'd gained about 100 pounds since I moved um, since I lived in New York and. Um, moved back to Houston and my disease was just, you know, raring to go. Um, I was spending so much money on um, delivery food. I was a big like Uber Eats person and I would spend all this money on delivery food that by the way, I didn't even have the money for. So I would incur an insufficient funds fee every single time that I would order. And every, every month, um, and this happened for a long time. Every month, my, my, I didn't have enough money in my bank account to pay my rent. And um, one month, the rent check finally bounced. And I had an eviction notice on my door from the Harris County Constable. So, you know, I was actually, um, I was getting kicked out of my apartment. And, um, you know, thankfully, my parents um, were able to help me, help me save my apartment and, and keep my home and my bills. But like when I tell you that I am the level of the addict that is under the bridge, like I'm not joking, not being funny. I'm not exaggerating. Like I was getting kicked out of my home. Um, there was another experience that, my ha that I had that my sponsor reminded me about um, is that the CEO of my company, um, and by the way, you know, I was able to still do well at work, which is shocking. And um, the CEO of my company had come into town, and we went, to, we took him to the Houston Rodeo, and it was one of those things where we went to where the Texans play football. And so it's one of those stadiums where you have to walk up ramp after ramp after ramp after ramp. And, like, I can still remember how that felt at 350 pounds by this point, you know, walking all the way to the top. I mean, it was so much physical pain, nearly impossible. I'm sweating. I'm trying to hide it. I'm trying to pretend like I'm okay. And, um, you know, we were there for a, for a concert. I think it was a Willie Nelson concert. And I went to the bathroom and I, I texted my boss and I said, I'm sick. I have to go home. I, I just couldn't stay because I, I was, I was so like physically in pain. And then the reality is I likely wasn't even going to be able to fit in the stadium seat anyway. So it was just these, um, you know, the demoralization, the absolute um, despair, the hopelessness. You know, I, I hated myself, and I was starting to hate everyone else in my life. Um, you know, I, um, I tried and I tried and I tried to do Overeaters Anonymous. You know, there are people on this line today that 
tried sponsoring me and then I would just ghost them out of nowhere, like bye, vanish. I wasn't even the kind of person that would call and say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to be able to work with you anymore. I'm not going to be able to call. I was a, I, I avoided completely. Like I would send the text message and then I would block your number so that I couldn't see what you said back to me, or I would just say nothing. So, you know, I was in and out and in and out and in and out. I tried and tried and tried because every time I truly felt so desperate, I really wanted to, um, really wanted to do this, but I couldn't, I didn't have the power, you know, it's, um, it's not for lack of desire that I didn't, that I didn't get started, that I didn't put the food down and work the steps. Like it was lack of power. I wasn't, I wasn't able to do it. Um, so let's see what else happened. Um, so it was about, well, a little over three years ago. So we were into quarantine. Um, and by the way, you know, all this time, right? Like all these, these like two to three years before what I'm about to share, you know, I'm dialing into a vision for you. I'm dialing into phone meetings. I'm listening to things, but just can't put the food down. And, um, you know, I have this, I have this um, obsession um, actually on page, on page 30. Um, where it says um, that most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. And this is my experience, absolutely. You know, my, my eating career was characterized by countless vain attempts to prove that I could eat, that I could live like other people. And the persistence, of, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. I so desperately wanted to be like other people. And I wouldn't admit that I wasn't like other people. You know, I was like in my mid-30s, you know, had a great career, was living in big cities, and I wanted to have that life like other people had. But it was an absolute, it was delusional, like it says in the next paragraph. The delusion that we are like other people or presently may be has to be smashed. You know, and a delusion, I've defined it, you know, it is typically a symptom of a mental disorder because I have a belief that's firmly maintained despite being contradicted by reality. So it was consistently shown to me that I could not eat like other people, that I was living in this delusion that I could. And it has to be smashed. And it wasn't until, you know, I finally had that, had, I finally I conceded to my innermost self that I was a real compulsive overeater and that I was not like other people. I thought that kicking and screaming I thought that until I was on the ground, face bloodied, bruised. I, I don't even think I was crawling into the rooms. I mean, I don't even know what you can call what I was doing. But I am not like other people. I'm not. I'm just not. And I and I I, I have to, um, you know, work this program so hard every day in order to remember that because my disease will try to take me back every time of like, 
oh, come on, you know, like this is, these people are doing this or that or the other. Don't you want to be normal? Well, I'm not. That's delusional. So that was a really big thing for me. You know, um, I'm in, I'm in a sales career. And so we were out and about all the time, you know, going out, taking out clients, going out, you know, with each other, having annual meetings, sales trips, you know, where the booze was flowing, the food was flowing. And I could not imagine a world in which I could show up in, you know, with normal people and be 100% sober. And, um, you know, the, the miracle is that that's how I live my life now. That's how I've lived my life for two and a half years. Like, you can do it. It is possible. And anybody that's, you know, feeling that way or in a similar situation, I really hope that you'll call, you know, that you'll reach out because I'd love to just share that experience with you. But um, so um, about three and a half years ago, well into quarantine, I thought, okay, you know what, I really should weigh myself. Like I should really see what's going on, see what the damage is. You know, I knew, I knew that things had gotten, um, had gotten pretty bad. And, um, and cause I was just, I mean, I was just binging every day. Like I wasn't even, I wasn't even trying anymore. You know, I mean, I would wake up every morning and before I could even get out of bed, I would have to know, okay, am I going to order something on Uber Eats for breakfast? Am I going to get in my car and drive to the two places that I would go to get my fix? Um, I mean, I certainly wasn't going to prepare breakfast in the kitchen. I rarely ate any of the food that I bought at the grocery store. Um, and I did. I bought a lot of, you know, quote, unquote, healthy food at the grocery store and then every week would throw it out. Um, and, you know, then I would binge on breakfast and then swear that I wasn't going to do it again. Swear I'm not doing this again today. And then it's like as soon as I would feel even the littlest bit of like sadness or loneliness or any negative emotion creeping in, I would immediately have to know exactly where my next meal was going to come from. Because I thought that feelings would kill me. Like I literally thought I wouldn't be able to survive feeling any negative emotions. You know, any sadness, any loneliness, I, I, I didn't think that I was capable of it. So I just had to have more and more and more and more food to stuff it. And um, so on that day, three and a half years ago, I got off the scale on a Sunday afternoon, and I remember I stepped on it. And it was like I blacked out. I blacked out when the number popped up. The reason I remember what it was is because I texted a friend of mine, and I said, oh, my God, I'm up to 350 pounds. And I just remember thinking in that moment, life is really over. Like I am, um, like the train has left the station. You know, I'm like on a on one of those hills that I'm just rolling down and I can't stop it. Like nothing is going to be able to stop this. And I was really terrified. And I thought, you know, I'm going to end up being on that show, My 600-Pound Life. And I'm not being funny. I'm being serious. Like that's where I was headed, no doubt. No doubt. And um and so, you know, every time I tell the story, it's like, okay, and then, you know, you would think that's when I got into the program and started actually, like, working the steps and got abstinent. No, because you know what? That remorse, that horror and the hopelessness, the pain, the terror that I felt in that moment of just seeing that number on the scale and realizing that I was down for the count. And that I was screwed and that my life was basically over. The only way I knew to get rid of that pain 
was by eating more food. And so I remember on that Sunday afternoon, I remember the restaurant I ordered from. It was this Italian restaurant and I ordered food for literally a family of six. I mean, I takes a lot of food to get to 350 pounds. You know, I'm not just eating like, oh, you know, you know, a couple, a couple extra servings here and there. No, I'm eating a ton of food. And it's like it says in the big book, right? Like it, it's like the man who has the headache, so he beats himself on the head with a hammer so he doesn't feel the ache. So it's like here I am at 350 pounds feeling just these awful feelings. And um, I'm so grateful to be in the company of people who I know understand that right now. So I'm not alone in kind of re-experiencing this or many are experiencing it now. And the only way to make myself feel better was to eat more food. Like that is the solution. Like food was my solution. It was the only way to get through the day um, and the only way to get through those moments. And just when I think back on that, you know, I'm just, I'm filled with so much, um, I don't know, sadness, just a lot of emotion of just thinking what that was like and remembering it because it's, um, it's really terrifying and hopeless. And uh, so, you know, I continued eating for a little while longer. Um, and then this was during, um, you know, the initial quarantine of, of COVID. And so my parents said, hey, why don't you just come stay with us for a couple of weeks? And um, I was like, okay, I guess. But, I mean, I didn't really want to because, um, you know, I was, like, living my best, like, addict life in my apartment by myself. You know, I was, like, binging constantly. I mean, I was I was really enjoying myself, you know, because I was numbed out 24-7, right? As my, I was working from home. I didn't have to go into the office. So I ended up going and staying with my parents. And, um, you know, a couple things uh, also I want to say is that I had had multiple sponsors and a therapist tell me that they thought maybe I would need to go to treatment. And I just remembered feeling so, um, like, upset when they would say that and, and, like, what's so wrong with me? Why do I have to go to treatment? Why can't I get this? You know, I'm in these rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. And I hear people that got recovery that didn't have to go to treatment. Like, am I that bad off? Like, am I such a terrible case? And um, and so I went and stayed with my parents and um, ended up actually, like, like putting the food down while I was there. And, um, you know, as a 350-pound woman, there's a lot of like normal physical functioning that, that I couldn't do. You know, I couldn't, um, I couldn't shower properly. I couldn't dry myself off properly. I couldn't complete other like hygienic functions properly. And there was a moment, you know, where something happened and I just, um, I don't know, it was like, it was like some sort of divine gift. And I really see it as that because all these years of extreme desperation um, I, I, I couldn't, you know, I, I didn't have it. I didn't have the power to, to put the food down and work the steps. And in this moment, you know, it was like a gift, a gift, truly a divine gift. The, the willingness to make a call to somebody and say, I'm ready. I'm willing. What do I need to do? That was a gift from, from God. And I did it. I called somebody and I said, okay, I'm ready. Like, what, what can I do? And so she agreed to help me. And I, I remember in those first few days of abstinence, man, I mean, I was, 
calling people in tears, leaving voicemails in, in tears. I mean, crying. People probably couldn't even understand what I was saying because to, like I had to gut it out. I had to climb the walls to get through even a half a day without my substance. It was really hard. It was really hard. Um, and, um, you know, so I, I worked all the steps and I became recovered. And I was so excited. You know, I saw it as a finish line. I saw it as a finish line that I was done, that I got to be one of the like recovered people over on the shore having the recovered people party. You know, and I was like, I have to act a certain way. I have to talk a certain way. Um, I have to think a certain way and people have to see me a certain way. So it's like pride and ego and dishonesty in the mix of those three things. I don't think I have to even tell you what comes next, but I relapsed. You know, I think I had like four months of abstinence at the time and I relapsed. And um, I remember I was on a pretty big meeting, my, my home meeting that I had qualified at a couple months before. And one of my good friends texted me during that meeting and said, are you going to share about what's going on with you? And I was like, of course, I'm not going to share what's going on with me. You know, like these people think that I am, you know, the pinnacle of recovery, right? Like they think I'm so great. And um, was still trying to keep up the lie, the dishonesty, the delusion. And, um, you know, my, my friend is pretty convincing. And so I ended up sharing, you know, on that meeting about where I was and what was going on and that I was in relapse and that I was really struggling and I couldn't get back. And that was a really pivotal moment for the current recovery that I have because it really broke me open, um, punctured my ego and, um, sort of gave me this new trajectory of just being really honest. So the truth is that, you know, even this morning, as I'm like speaking on a line of, I don't know how many people, so many people whose recovery I admire so much, you know, my, my recovery heroes, the giants of recovery to me, but it's like, you know what? Am I going to sit here and be so worried about what everybody thinks of me, how I sound, what comes across? No, because you know what? Like, I'm sober when I dialed into this meeting. I'm going to be sober when I hang up. And, like, you know, I, I am pretty confident I'm going to be sober when my head hits the pillow tonight. And that's all that matters, right? Like, if I am sober with this food and I keep showing up and I have a relationship with my higher power and I'm taking action, that's all that matters. So, like, the pride, the ego, the dishonesty, all of that, that's so scary. It's a really danger zone for me and my recovery. And so – you know, what I did is I reached out to someone else and that person jumped into the hole and grabbed my hand and, you know, we, we worked the steps together. And what I was told in the beginning is, you know, okay, if you want to eat, just pick up the phone and say, I want to eat and I need help. And I mean, I wanted to eat. And so I said, are you sure that you don't mind if I call you like 20 times a day? Because that's what's going to happen. But that was really the key for me to just be humble, you know, and say, I want to eat. I need help. I want to eat. I need help. Right. And that's so much of like, you know, what this design for living that really works looks like for me is that that honesty and like reaching out to other people and, and sharing what's going on and putting my hand in someone else's and taking someone else's ideas because my best ideas they get me to 350 pounds 
wanting to end my life, you know, um, having an eviction notice on my door, um, you know, having no, no semblance of a life. And so, um, you know, there, there are, um, so, so I guess I just want to go back to this paragraph, right? So we, in our turn, sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. What seemed at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. And it did. It did seem to be a flimsy reed, but I was so desperate and drowning that I was willing to grab that flimsy reed. You know, it was like, I'm not going to wait for the big old, like, you know, whatever it is, like the, the sturdy thing that I think is actually going to be able to pull me out of this water. I'm just going to grab this flimsy reed. And I didn't understand. Um, and, you know, I remember when I was working through step two, it was like, okay, what's your conception of God? And I was just like, I don't know. You know, my conception of God growing up doesn't work for me anymore. You know, I'm just not really sure what I believe in. But what I was told is just like, okay, and this was really helpful for me. You know, those charging pads that you put your phone on, um, you know, you set your phone on the charging pad and you just walk away with, um, and then you come back and the phone is charged, grab it, go on about your day. And it's the same idea with prayer and meditation. And I started thinking about that in the mornings. I would sit in my meditation chair and just think, okay, this is like my charging pad and I'm showing up and I'm getting still and I'm spending time with God, even though I don't really know what that means. And I'm just here. And for the rest of the day, I'm going to have the faith that something happened, that I'm charged up, right, that I'm ready to go, and that, that something happened in that moment, and that God is with me, and that there is some sort of power in my life. And, you know, today, when I look back, I think to myself, I mean, the, the, the addict that I am, the hopeless addict that I am, the fact that I have any recovery today, I mean, that's absolutely a result of a power greater than me. Um, you know, um, step three is, Oh my God. I mean, one of my favorite steps that I pretty much take like every single day, you know, in the mornings, um, my favorite way to do it is just to get on my knees. And then sometimes I just, the third step prayer is a mantra for me, you know, because it's constant. I mean, I've got to turn people, places, situations, my life as a whole over to the care of God. Um, step four, you know, the inventory. I mean, my God, my sponsors, are probably laughing right now because I had like a hundred plus resentments on my inventory. I mean, I really went hard on that thing, you know, and then the step five was such a beautiful experience and um, I continue to inventory, you know, I mean, I feel like sometimes I do is inventory, 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 but it produces so much freedom. And um, then, you know, um, step six and seven, the way that I really love um, steps, Step six and seven, and practicing that is, um, you know, looking, so looking at the defects, and it's so funny, like I'm really clear on what my defects are. And so um, something that I was instructed to do is look at, okay, what are the opposites of those defects? You know, what are the opposites? What would it look like today if I showed up with power, capital P, and this is a way to like, you know, use my imagination and to, to sort of co-create with God with my higher power of what it could look like today if I showed up and those defects were removed and then just to pray on those things, to ask God for help with those things. But I am just as powerless over my defects, over my self-pity, over my envy, over my fear of what people think of me, over my fear of financial insecurity. I am just as powerless over all of those things as I 
was powerless over the food. And that is really challenging for me, you know, to admit, because it feels like weak. Um, but that's where God comes in. And that's where I need God. And um, then eight and nine, you know, I had a lot of amends to make. I, I made quite a few um, financial amends. And one of the one of the financial amends that um, I, I continue to make is um, to my, my former spouse. And I pay on a monthly basis. I pay on an every month basis, um, Venmo, on the 15th of the month, you know, paying that person back. And, you know, I could have paid it in a lump sum many times, but it is a spiritual action for me every single month when I pull up, you know, my Venmo app and I send money to someone, you know, that we had a very tenuous um, divorce. And, you know, I, I send that money every month and it's a spiritual action because this is a design for living that really works. And every time that I take that I take an action that I don't want to take, I do something I don't want to do, um, you know, that gets me closer to God. That's a spiritual action for me because in my disease, if I didn't want to do something, I sure as hell wouldn't have done it. This morning, I would have come up with some excuse as to why I couldn't do this. You know, I would have absolutely, and I would have believed myself, right? Like I can't differentiate the truth from the false. Um, you know, steps 10, 11, and 12, um, yeah, step 10, I, I need to be better about step 10, you know, doing those lives. But there are a lot of people in my life that know exactly what's going on with me, you know, and that's really important. You know, my sponsor, fellows, like people know what's going on in my life. I have to live out loud. I have to live honestly. I have to get real about, about my, um, you know, my fears, where I'm selfish, where I'm being dishonest. And some of that stuff I do not want to share but I, I have to to save my life. My life depends on this. Step 11, um, oh my God, I love step 11. My time with God in the morning is, um, is, is so foundational and critical to my day, um, you know, doing that prayer and meditation. And then I have reminders on my phone throughout the day that pop up so that I remember to connect with God. Um, I do my nightly review almost every night. I used to be like 100%. Um, right now, I'm not 100%, so I'm admitting that publicly, but um, nearly every night I do it. And then, um, you know, step 12 is so important and um, something I, you know, want to share here and just, you know, talking about, okay, um, you know, a new life has been given us or if you prefer a design for living that really works. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm beginning, beginning the wrap up here, but in this program, um, you know, I've gotten all the cash and prizes. I mean, I really have over the last two and a half years. Um, you know, if I had made a checklist in the beginning of everything that I wanted, I got it all and then some, right? I got, um, so I told you I had an eviction notice on my door. Um, I bought a home last summer, um, bought my first house. And that is directly a result of this program of working this stuff. Um, what else? You know, I got, I got a promotion in my job check. I got a new job paying very well, check. You know, I got, I got my luxury car that I wanted for a while, check. Um, I got a, a boyfriend, a, a loving partnership um, that I, I didn't think was, was possible for me, check. You know, um, so many beautiful things have happened. Um, and then also, you know, um, 
some really painful things have happened. Um, and, and, you know, I think that rather than sitting here being like, oh, look at everything I've gotten in recovery, what I really want to share with you, this design for living that really works, is that, you know, I've been through some really painful things over the last few months. Um, in, in the summer, um, I lost my job. Um, so the, you know, that promotion I told you about and that job I got paying a lot, well, I lost it, became unemployed. And, um, then I, um, I found out that I was expecting a child, which at the age of 41, as a person who had maimed her body, you know, I really didn't think it was possible for me to ever have a family. And, uh, man, I was so excited. And then, um, found out, um, that, that in fact, we, we lost that baby. And, um, you know, I've, so, so I've had some really painful moments, um, emotionally and physically that I couldn't have ever possibly, um, like imagined what it would have been like. And this design for living really works because I am able to walk through these painful, painful moments of life and I don't have to use, I don't have to use. Um, I can, I can feel the, the utmost joy and I can feel the sadness and the anger and the despair and the uncertainty and the confusion. And um, God is in it with me through all of it. And um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be able to experience the ups and downs of life, even though it's so painful. But I just remember always wanting to be able to. Can I just be present for life fully, please? And now I am. And it's a miracle. And so I want to say in step 12, you know, sponsoring saved me over the last few months. When I was going through all of this, like I stayed consistent with my sponsees, you know, helping them, going through the book with them, taking their calls, working with newcomers. You know, I remember right after I lost my job um, and I knew I was expecting a child at that time. So I just found out we were expecting and then I lost my job and it was a tough day. And I had this plan. As soon as I get off this call, I'm going to call my sponsor and then I'm going to call this other woman with 25 years of recovery so, we, so I can talk to them. And then this newcomer called me. And I remember like, no, this isn't my plan. This isn't my plan. I'm not talking to a newcomer right now. You know, I need to call for help. And then in that moment, it was like, okay, that's right. This is what we do. Like, this is what we do. We help other people, you know. And so I took the call and I talked to the newcomer. And, you know, I shared with her what was going on with me, you know. And uh, she shared. And it was a really great call, you know. And it was just this reminder of like, um, you know, trying to carry this message and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And so, look, you know, from the girl that was listening to these special editions, binging at 350 pounds, sure that she would never, ever get this, but I was one of the unfortunates, you know, to being someone with two and a half years, which, I mean, I'm still a toddler in this program, but I'm so grateful to be here. And, uh, you know, this design for living, the 12 steps, um, worked and lived out on a daily basis as written in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It really works. It is a new life. There is hope here. And I, um, you know, I owe all of you and Overeaters Anonymous my, my life. And um, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be of service this morning. Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing your inspiring uh, story of personal transformation as a result of the uh, of the steps. And 
My goodness, your openness and willingness to share your journey, you know, embracing vulnerability and uh, commitment is, 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 is truly remarkable. And, 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 and just thank you for reminding us that change is possible. And, um, and also, before we open up the questions, <laughs> I love the recovered people party. Yeah, you know where that party is. It's right. It's on a on a ski jump with a big cliff. <laughs> There's no recovered people party, right? So let's now open this up for questions for Lindsay W from from Texas. Um, if you have a question uh, for Lindsay, please press star one to unmute your phone and give me your first name and last initial. Carrie K. Carrie. Chris G. Chris G. <clears throat> Who else? Haley Q. Was it Haley? With a K. Haley Q, right? Did I get Correct. that right? Yeah. Great. Okay. And who was after Kaylee? Melinda. Melinda. Who else with a question for Lindsay? Jessica C. Sarah, Sarah Jessica, G. Jessica and Sarah. That's a good group. I've got Carrie, Chris, Kaylee, Melinda, Jessica, and Sarah. Why don't we start with that? If you're not Carrie K, if you can mute your phone again, and uh, and then we'll we'll move on from there. Carrie, what's your question for Lindsay this morning? Thank you, Larry, for your service. It's actually Terry with a T, like in Tom. Oh, Terry, thank you. That's okay. Terry K in Tennessee. Um, thank you for the beautiful intro, and thank you so much for that that really powerful share. I'm definitely going to listen to it again and have lots of people listen to it. Um, my question is about if you could share with us, how do you sponsor in the program of Overeaters Anonymous? I'd be interested in hearing that. Terry for the question. So I um, basically what I do is what is how I was taken through this most recent time. So we read the big book together line by line. Um, I used to start in the doctor's opinion. I've actually now begun um, starting in the preface and the foreword and then we read it together line by line and then as we're reading we follow the instructions as outlined in the big book. So that is it. Very simple. <laughs> Thanks for the question, Terry. Okay, we move on to Chris G, followed by Kaylee. Chris, what question do you have for? Thank you. Uh, Thank for you uh, for um, sharing. And um, I'm going to have my sponsees listen to this. So, um, that's my question is I was talking with a sponsee yesterday and um, telling her that, you know, part of the deal is that when she gets through the steps that she's going to sponsor people and she thought she would never get to be good enough to sponsor people how how do we get to um realize that we don't have to be good enough as as some wonderful yeah how how do you how do you address that with or how did you experience where you felt you could sponsor thanks and i'll i'll pass yeah, that's a really good question. So I remember whenever I was first sponsoring, you know, and I would have my, my big book out and then I had all my 
all my notebooks with the notes that I had taken from my sponsor because I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like I had anything to offer. You know, I was like, oh my God, what am I even going to say? And, you know, again, it was sort of going back to what I shared about the the pride and the, the ego and worrying about what you're going to think of me. And then, you know, now the, the way that I, the way that I sponsor is like, I mean, this is just an opportunity for me to go through the book again, you know, new things are coming up. And I just, every single time before we start reading together, you know, we start off with the set aside prayer. God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about this big book, the 12 steps, um, my recovery path, my powerlessness and unmanageability. And then, you know, I really just, it, it became a, a faith and trust thing for me. It's like trusting in the recovery experience that I have to share, which all, you know, when I'm sponsoring, what took out so much of that fear for me is that I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I'm just sharing my experience. So like, here's what I did, you know, here's my experience with this. And so as we're reading through the book, I'm just sharing my experience. And if I don't have experience with something, um, then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell someone to reach out to another fellow, you know, as it said, sometimes we have a phone full of miracles, all of us, you know, we have a phone full of miracles, phone numbers we can call, but I understand that fear a lot. I've been through it. And, um, you know, now it's just like, um, I trust that God is going to give me the words just like I did this morning, you know, I mean, just like I did this morning of like, what am I going to say? How am I going to sound? But it's like, all right, I'm just relying on God for the sponsoring, for this, you know, for showing up and carrying the message. So I hope that's helpful. Thanks for the question, Chris. Okay, next up with a question is Kaylee followed by Melinda. Kaylee, good morning. Hi, thank you. This is Kaylee. Um, so I came to OA because I couldn't put down the food, and I have by some miracle, but I don't know how to help sponsors or guide them to put down the food. What do you do? And it passed. Yeah, that's really hard. I it's hard to have that discussion with people a lot because I wish that there was something I could say or do to help people put down the food. But um it was in it was my experience again back to my experience. Like there's nothing anybody could have said or done um to get me to put down the food. You know, I mean, I'm telling you, I worked with some all-star sponsors. You know, I listened to some of the best special editions, you know, like, yeah, I mean, there were some people with phenomenal recovery and powerful messages that, enough, you know, nothing was enough. So I think it's, um, you know, for me, um, I just, you know, I, I continued to show up and, you know, I tell people, beg God for the willingness. You know, I, I mean, it, if, if I really believe it's a divine gift, the willingness to put down the food, and I do believe that, then ask God, you know, beg God for it. Please help me be willing. Can I, I really want to be done. Please help me, you know, because that's, that's the only solution I know to actually be able to put down the food. It's like, is, is a divine gift. And then, you know, if I get the willingness to do it for a day, right, if someone calls and says, okay, say I'm, I'm ready, I want to do it, and I say, okay, so then every single time you think about food, you have a thought about eating, picking up, are you willing to pick up the phone and call me and say, I want to eat and I need help? 
because for me, it wasn't until I was willing to do that that I actually was able to keep the food down. So, yeah, it's tough. I wish I had a, I really wish I had a better answer for that one. I really do. Kaylee, thanks for that question. And next up is Melinda, followed by Jessica. Melinda, what's the last initial, excuse me, the first initial of your last name? Melinda H, as in horse in Virginia. Good morning. And my question is during a, a morning and prayer and meditation time, how do you keep, how do you keep from thinking instead of connecting with God? Hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good question. So, I have often done guided meditations. I've actually just started doing non-guided meditations. So for for quite a while, I've done guided meditations, and that has been helpful for me. Um, I think another thing is, you know, I've heard this from some meditation teachers. I mean, you know, we're going to have thoughts. I mean, that's normal for me to, you know, for me to have thoughts or for things to drift off. And then it's sort of the, the practice of meditation and why it's helpful as I'm going through my daily life is like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm having a thought right now. Let me just, let me just pull my attention back to my breath or to, you know, a, a focal point in my body, because that's sort of the practice is that I'm able to sort of see that I'm having a certain thought and then I can, um, you know, I can sort of, I can watch that. So, uh, but the guided meditations have helped me a lot. Um, focusing on breath has helped me a lot, but it's really just a practice. And I really like that reminder that, that meditation is a practice. So it means like I'm not perfect and I'm getting better. Um, and also, I don't do this perfectly whatsoever, but I've tried doing the second meditation, like doing, you know, a morning one and then an afternoon slash evening one. And that I noticed a big difference in, you know, my meditation practice and being able to, um, like you said, feel like experience more connection or experience more um, sort of just like emptiness in that moment. So thanks for the question. Yes, thanks, Melinda. Next up is Jessica, followed by Sarah. If you could give your first initial of your last name. Good morning, Jessica. Hi, good morning. Uh, this is Jessica C. from Ontario, Canada. Um, Lindsay, thank you so much for your really powerful and, and honest share. Um, I wanted to ask you about step six and seven. You talked about that briefly. Um, you mentioned acting the opposite of your defects, and I think you talked about showing up in the world as if you had God's power. Could you maybe share an example of a defect where you've had to do that and, and what acting the opposite looks like and what showing up with God's power looks like? Yeah, yeah, that's a really, so that's a really good question. So um, I think what's, so what's coming up for me is work. So in, in my job, um, one of my one of my defects was that I like basically I had a fear of I had a fear of like not enoughness like I was having these I was having these coaching one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions with people where I was the coach 
and I felt like, you know, oh, I, I, I don't have, you know, enough to offer them. Um, I'm afraid that I'm not good enough. I'm afraid that, you know, that uh, what they're going to think of me. And so, um, you know, so, so God, please remove my fear, direct my attention to what you would have me be, you know, what, like, what is the opposite of that? What does it look like if I, if I show up in the world with, um, you know, with that capital P power and if the, the fear was gone and it's, um, you know, all right, like, what value can I bring to these conversations? How can I be helpful? What does it look like to, you know, to show up selfless and just to be there to be of service to people um, and not to, you know, like toot my own horn or make them think better of me? And so I actually got this, um, like, laminated St. Francis prayer that's still on my um, – still, you know, up on my um, computer today in my office, and I would just say that prayer before those calls of, you know, seeking to love, comfort, and understand rather than to get love and comfort and understanding, like, what can I bring? How can I be a channel of peace and a channel of God's power in these conversations? Um, And that was really helpful, and I was able to show up um, differently, thankfully. So hope that's helpful and, you know, always happy to have more conversations about this. I, I love talking about it. So you can reach out if you'd like. Thanks. Thanks, Jessica. Okay, Sarah, it's your turn. Good morning, Sarah. Hello. Hello, Sarah. Is that you? Yep. Me, it's me. Uh, yeah, I just got the 12, the 12 step two days ago, put my number out there. What do I do while I'm waiting for sponsees? Like I just started going through the big book by myself again. But what did you do while you're waiting for your sponsees? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. So, um, you know, there's, there are, there are many ways to, um, you know, carry the message and practice these principles in all our affairs. So, yeah, I mean, in every meeting that I'm in, there are newcomers that leave their telephone numbers. So reaching out to newcomers, I think, is a phenomenal way to to be a service, to carry the message. Um, you know, I know that as a, as a newcomer, someone struggling, I so appreciated when people would reach out to me. Um, you know, being of service in meetings, sharing in meetings. I mean, you know, like you're doing right now, like asking the question, participating, being a part of. Um, you know, by I'm sharing sharing my recovery in the meeting, and that was something that my my sponsor has always said is like, you know, share. I have to be a part of. I have to speak up so that people know me, know what's going on with me. I'm part of the group. You know, people are going to reach out and ask me to sponsor them or you know, reach out for help if they know me, if they're hearing me, if they, you know, if I'm sharing my my experience, strength, and hope. Um, yep. So hope that's helpful. Good question. Larry, press star Larry, one. Larry, we don't hear you. How about that? I'm back. Okay. <laughs> so we have we have time for more questions for Lindsay. So if you want to press star one and give me your first name and last initial. Hi, I'd like Carolyn. to. I'm LJ. 
Okay. Roberta I heard, I think, Car Roberta, I heard Carolyn. Yes, Carolyn S. from New York. And Roberta B. Who else? LJ. Okay, they, you guys were on top of each other there. I couldn't hear them at the same time. Let's try again. Julie D. in Maryland. Julie. And there was somebody else. LJ. Okay, we're going to stop with... Yeah, we're going to stop with LJ and kind of see where we are time-wise. So I have Carolyn, Roberta, Julie, and LJ. Carolyn, S, your turn. What question do you have for Lindsay? Good morning. Oh, hi. Um, thank you so much, uh, Larry and Lindsay. Excellent, excellent special edition. And I will definitely tell my sponsees um, to listen. So um, you talked about backing out of plans with friends, which I've done many times, but I also sometimes I just won't make plans. You know, I'll, I'll come up with a million excuses. And it impacts my husband, too, because he's a social guy and he's going to these things alone or, or not going. So um, anyway, you know, it, I thank you for sharing that. And my question is, um, you talked about how um, with a sponsee, you go through the big book line by line. And I, I've never done it that way. Um, and I'm just wondering, how long does that take you usually? To get through the whole book like that or the whole yeah. 164 pages yeah yeah so it it really depends um you know uh, i'm trying to get better about um limiting the the conversation and the calls because i'll do um you know i do like 30 minute calls and so with some you know with some people i mean i really i become friends with people i sponsor so we end up having conversation you know and then we get through less of the book during our calls so i'm working on trying to limit that or say, hey, call me outside of our scheduled step work calls, you know, if you want to talk about some other life stuff. Anyway, that aside, you know, it can take, um, I would say usually around three months, give or take. Um, I think for me, when I was going through it that way, it took, yeah, it took just about three months, maybe four months. So, so that's about, that's about right. Thanks, Carolyn, for the question. Next up is Roberta B., followed by Julie B. Roberta, good morning. Hi, Roberta B. from California with the URUB. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for your share today. I feel like this is day one for me. I really related to you were at the cocaine level of addiction, and I've had such a hard time getting absent, and I really believe this is day one. My question for you is, can you go back to your first week or two? I feel like I can maybe, maybe, maybe muster a couple of days of absence, and then I'm back again in the addiction. Um, if you could go all the way back to your first week or two and what you did to stay abstinent, thanks. Roberta, I'm so, I'm so glad to hear and thank you for, for speaking up and asking the question. Um, so what I did was um, I would pick up the phone. I had to pick up the phone and make a call and ask for help whenever I wanted to eat because when I am in those first days and weeks of abstinence, I do not have a connection to a higher power. 
And so the way that I connect with power is by reaching out and asking for help. Like when I do that, um, like I, I open the door a little bit more for, for God's grace to, to enter. And so um, as, as, as wild as it seems to pick up the phone every time I think about food or every time I want to eat in those first few days because I know it's a lot that's what I had to be willing to do, and it's what I had to do in order to get, you know, an hour, two hours, a half a day, 24 hours of sobriety. That was what I had to do. And it was really painful. It was really hard. I was climbing the walls. You know, it really felt, it felt impossible. So I just had to take it an hour at a time. And a few other things, I, I mean, I would take hot showers. You know, I was, I had it recommended, like, put some blankets in the dryer and cuddle up in warm blankets and get in bed. I mean, in those first few days, really just had to, you know, had to, had to do all those kind of things. But really picking up the phone and saying, I want to eat and I need help, that saved me, got me through. Thanks for, thanks for asking the question. Yeah, thank you, Roberta. Glad you're here. Okay, next up uh, is Julie B., followed by LJ. Julie, good morning. Hi, good morning, Julie D. Um, thank you both so much. Um, I was really struck by, in the beginning there, Larry, the comparison to the active and the passive surrendering um, and realizing that probably part of the reason why I can't seem to consistently stay away from my food behaviors, my food pretty much interrupts with the food behaviors, is that active surrendering. And um, I was able to pull some pieces out of what you were saying there, Carolyn. I would love if you could like elaborate more on what like the active surrendering looks like to you. I find that like I'm even resistant to like getting on my knees to pray. You know, that's like a new thing for me. And I know that's part of like an active surrendering. But um, if you were able to kind of like paint a picture of what that looks like in your recovery, I'd really appreciate it. I really, I really like that question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, what I, I really enjoyed that part of the introduction too, because it made me think of this paragraph, you know, like a new life has been given us, or if you prefer a design for living, that really works. So like I have, like I have this design for living. I have these 12 steps. I have an action program clearly lined out in the big book. So you know, I don't have to guess. I don't have to guess at things. You know, these are clear-cut instructions. And so um, that active surrender for me is like, is is following these instructions and, and taking direction and, um, you know, taking action. So like yesterday, you know, I wasn't really feeling like making outreach um, or reaching, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't really want to talk to people. But you know, I called my sponsor yesterday, um, and you know that's an that's an active surrender. I mean, you know, um, you know when I when the sponsee calls and I don't really feel like answering because I'm, I'm sorry to my sponsees on this call, but I don't always feel like answering, right? But I do anyway. Like whenever I take these actions that I don't feel like, I mean, I didn't want to get up at 4:30 this morning and spend time with God and, you know, get my coffee together and get ready and, 
you know, all of that, but I, but I did, you know, I show up, those are, those are active surrender. After this, I'm going to go to an in-person meeting, you know, and um, that's like active surrender. Um, just taking, I mean, really, it's just, you know, doing my nightly review, um, showing up and, and giving service when I committed to do it. So um, those are the things, you know, it's like, oftentimes I don't want to do this. I, so, you know, look, the disease is progressive. My recovery has to be progressive. I don't get to do less as time goes on. I have to do more as time goes on. Like, that's a, man, that's an unfortunate reality, isn't it? Like, you think, oh, maybe I'm going to be able to do less. But I actually have to do more. So it's like that, yeah, so that active surrender just gets stronger and stronger and more and more active. And by the way, I mean, I love, like, I, I want to be clear, like, I love this way of life. Like this design for living is, oh my God. Like, you know, I've had the conversation before of like, like if I, you know, if I could be normal, would I want to be normal? And truthfully, I don't think I would because I love, I love doing this. Like I really do. I love the community. I love the fellowship. I love being awake in life, you know? So um, anyway, I think I kind of took that and, and ran a little far with it, but I hope that answered your question. Oh, it's terrific. Th thanks for the question, Julie and Lindsay, for your answer. So our final question, Drumroll, LJ, you're it. Good morning. Hi. Um, so I'm wondering if if you are available to sponsor, um, or if you know people who are willing to take who are willing to sponsor and take a phone call every time I want to binge eat, um, because I haven't been able to find that and. Um, wondering if it's okay to leave my phone number here right now, or should I wait till the end? Yeah, we. I, I'm going to jump in there, Lindsay, if you'd allow me. Thanks. So, um, the what I will say, and I'll repeat it towards the end there. It's a, LJ, it's a great question because a lot of us are thinking about that as well. Um, and what we do is our Monday through Friday, uh, the second hour is a time that new newcomers or even people who have been around a long time but haven't shared their their number just by way of introduction and you'll get lots of calls and then spo uh, sponsors at the end of that second hour. Uh, the first hour uh, starts at, uh, at uh, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, of course, second hour, unrecorded hours, uh, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that'll be the opportunity to leave numbers. We kind of follow a protocol here for that. Um, but with that, um, maybe there's a question in there somewhere, Lindsay, that you, you might want to touch on. If there is. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, thank you, LJ, and I'm really glad you're here. Um, in terms of um, sponsorship, I do know people that are available to sponsor, and I think at some point here I will leave my number. Um, so, And I am a person that would gladly take your call um, if you want to pick up, if you want to binge, if you want to use. Like, you know, I – I really happily give back what was freely given to me. So, and I know others that would take that call too. So, um, you know, please reach out to me. Um, I would be more than happy to, to connect and um, to, to help. Yeah, that, that's, thanks Lindsay for, for mentioning that. And so we're gonna wrap up and, and please know a couple of things. One is um, we're, gonna, we're gonna wrap up just to stay commitment uh, with the top of the hour here. Um, and uh, also, we're going to ask for hang out because we're going to ask for 
uh, Lindsay's contact information at the end of the recorded portion of this meeting. So, Lindsay, once again, let me just say uh, thank you so much for um, for your uh, for your time this morning. You you, uh, you you you're changing lives. You're changing lives. Anyone that has the courage to step up and just share their their recovery. There is no hierarchy. There's no superstars. I love that you mentioned that. There's just all of those people, Lindsay, that got here on a losing streak, right? And uh, by the grace of our higher power, have found recovery. So it's it's a great thing. Thank you so much for that. I'm also going to leave the um, in the recorded portion. I'll give it again. So it's the share ID for Lindsay W's presentation, Lindsay W from Texas, and that share ID number is twenty thousand seven hundred and sixty-five. That's two zero seven six five. And so we're going to close the meeting with a reading from uh, the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous on page 164, part of our namesake in the chapter of Vision for You. And so I will do that now. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. Your, the answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and, and keep you 